the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, welcome back, or welcome. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program, Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. It is, of course, the program where we take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about. Questions about God and the historical Jesus, the Bible, worldviews, world religions. If you'd like to join me, it's 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Uh, Rebecca, welcome to the program. Thank you. Um, my question was, um, if you've ever been familiar, and you probably are with a book by John Price called The End of America, and I wanted to know if you agree with what he says that the U.S. is the daughter of Babylon and that the U.S. is the country that will be destroyed um, well, because I- of our because of the way we've uh, because of the way we've lived, because we've sponsored abortion, because at some point we may turn our back on Israel. I just want to know what your take is. Yeah, I'm not familiar with the book, so it, it, it's really not fair for me to comment on what okay. it says specifically. But so, yeah, I am not familiar with the book. But some of the things you brought up are interesting, and I absolutely agree with in this sense that. Mm-hmm. Um, that you can't live in rebellion and disobedience and um, and then expect God to just overlook it. So, right. you know, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to anyone. So mm-hmm. so one of the there's a there's a kind of a way of thinking about what you just said. And and that is, you know, how do we think about America in biblical prophecy. And mm-hmm. I think the right way of thinking about it is it's not mentioned. Exactly. So, so, so that becomes, you know, you don't, we don't normally argue from silence, but is it possible that the reason why America isn't mentioned is because it's irrelevant or it doesn't exist? We right. could, we could, we could be, um, either irrelevant or in rebellion, but mm-hmm. a, a, according to to uh, the Book of Revelation, it doesn't mention any countries or nations other than Israel, Revelation seven right. fourteen, and Babylon in Revelation right. fourteen eight, and and so Babylon is in Revelation is mostly a symbolic reference to Antichrist's evil kingdom. So to your point, and I don't know the author, but he might be making the point, what if America has joined the evil empire? Right. And if that's true, then one of several things could be... So it may be true, it may not be true. It could be that the United States is weakened substantially its influence right. is irrelevant. And so just like nations come and go, 
our country has been severely weakened or or no longer exists the way you and I understand it. Right. Well, and, and what he says makes a lot of sense. Everything that he's put in here, I mean, he talks about, you know, all the different, uh, in the different chapters, that because the people in America have persecuted people. He talks oh, definitely. about how jihadists have always had the desire and the, but patience to destroy America and the coming a great attack, uh, including probably nuclear, but he doesn't. Um, when I, when I went online to just Google his name and, you know, just get information uh-huh. and all of a sudden I got a, a thing from Tim Hyde out of North Dakota saying it's not all exact what he's saying. Yeah, I'm not familiar so, with the book, and so I'm not in a place to criticize it right. or, or or applaud it. Right. But I would say this. My friend Joel Rosenberg says, how can you kill literally tens of millions of children in the womb and escape mm-hmm. God's judgment? Well, and that's it, exactly what he's saying in it, this book, that it was that's Bi- what we're going to be judged for. It was Billy Graham who said... Un- if God doesn't judge San Francisco, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Exactly, exactly. And that's why, you know, I got a lot out of reading this book, you know, and I, and the thing is, I do go on to gutquestions.org. So I'll, well, thank you. Know, you. I, I do ask questions on there, but I just thought a lot of what, what is said in this book makes sense because he, he brings up the fact about all the abortion. He brings up the fact that all of the Hollywood stars and their money and how they've, um, are, how we have lived the, the whole Sodom and Gomorrah thing in this country. You know, right. I mean, we have, we right. have We're turned talking... our backs. We're talking um, perversion of of, exactly. of biblical proportions. And mm-hmm. then I would add one more element. The other right. element that I would add is, again, God's promise to Abraham. Mm-hmm. I will bless those who bless you. Yes. And, and again, America's treatment of the Jewish people as a refuge not a refuge not treating them as refuse but treating them as refuge mm-hmm. but he also says but whoever curses you i will curse yes and i that's what that's what concerns me because when we had trump in he he did a, a right thing in moving the embassy i know that obama did not even want to even look at netanyahu that really bothered me, and I thought, we're going to get ourselves in a lot of trouble with God if we allow this country to pick on Israel, because those are his people. And now, I want to know, I want to see what's going to happen in the end. Are we going to stick up for them? Are we going to come to their rescue if they're attacked, or are we going to just turn turn our backs, and then we're going to suffer for it? Well, and again, we are about to find out because yeah. I suspect literally that we're at a tipping point. I mean, yeah. I earlier, you know, reported a judge in California who um, literally declined a parental rights on a transgender case. Yeah. And, uh, you, this, I just, you. this just can't go on forever no. and ever and not have some sort of judgment. 
Well, it's like I've told people, God sure has a lot of patience for us right now. And we should but thank God because guess I, I what? Am. Every day, <laughs> every day of grace is a postponement of judgment. But, exactly. And and there's a reason why I'm, I, I am particularly concerned about this Ukraine Russian situation. I mean, there's always been wars and rumors of wars, and of course, yes. there will continue to be wars and rumors of war. Mm-hmm. But there there have been certain tipping points, like in 1939 mm-hmm. and World mm-hmm. War II, um, that our parents, um, it changed their lives when they went yes. to war. Yes. You, you, they it had did. to reorder their entire lives. And mm-hmm. this pandemic has caused us to reorder our lives in many, many ways. But mm-hmm. that reordering could become even more severe and more dramatic in the not too distant future. Yes. Well, I appreciate all your answers. I really like to listen to what you have to say. And I do on Saturdays. I listen to Mike Huckabee, too, because, <laughs> you know, he stands there and tells you what he thinks, too. When he he's his he's show. a it's smart guy. On. He's very smart. <laughs> hey, thank so, you. Thank for, you so much. Thank you for your call. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And uh, happy to take your calls. Would love to take your call. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on the program. 303 873 1935. Let's see who's up. Um, Jim, uh, Vic, thank you. Vic, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, Gino. Uh, I, I think maybe it didn't come through clearly. But this is Eric, E R I C. Oh, uh, oh, yeah. oh, it's Eric. Okay, E R I C. Yes, so let me just yes, refer to you by how you want to be referred to. <laughs> Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Yeah, I think it just cut off when I was uh, saying my name. So, I, I just have a, a question uh, and also uh, a comment if we have time for it. But I'll start with the question, which okay. is about um, pre- predetermination um, and and the idea of whether how how God or if God um, predetermines who will spend eternity with Him, um, or or how much of that is up to human choice. Yeah, your question's complicated. So let's let's use the biblical term just for a moment. I mean, I, I I know what predetermination means, but I think you might be making a reference to predestination. Predestination, yes. Right. And in and so if we ask and we answer the question about predestination, um, what does that mean? And does it mean that God simply appears to offer salvation to all? So so predestination is a biblical term that's used by Paul in Romans chapter 8, where he says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. So that word predestined is the Greek word proridzo, and it just means to know in advance, okay? Mm-hmm. It means to know in advance. So he says, for those who, who God foreknew, he also predestined, he knew in advance, and he called them to be conformed into the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. That's Jesus. 
And it says, and those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. So one way of asking the question that you're asking is, is it possible for a person to be saved but not predestined? And the answer is no. No, it's not possible for someone to be saved without being elected by God to salvation. Now, to your your point, well, what role—so here's what I accept and here's what I reject. I reject the view that you're saved or damned for all eternity because you were saved or damned for all eternity. I reject that view. And so in my view, God offers salvation to everyone on the condition that they receive and believe in Jesus Christ. And and so the saved can thank God for the provision of salvation, the cross, the offer of salvation. Remember, Jesus says, come to me. Jesus says, believe in me. Jesus told the, uh, the religious uh, leaders, unless you believe that I am who I say that I am, you won't be saved. So there's a view that says that God only appears to offer salvation to all, but not really. And so, it, so if we ask, so who are the elect? The elect are people that God is going to save. So, does who picks who? According to Jesus, he says, you didn't choose me, I right. chose you. Right. But does that mean that he overwhelms your will and saves you whether you like it or not? or damns you whether you like it or not? And I think that the answer has to be no. God doesn't save you whether you like it or not, or damn you if you like it or not. So in my view, you are elected by God in accordance with faith in Christ. You know the most famous passage in all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, he doesn't say if the elect believe in him or I've already pre-selected. Now, again, this word proridzo, God knows in advance. Let me give you kind of a weird example. Last Sunday was the Super Bowl. Did God know in advance that the Rams were going to beat the Bengals? Yes. Did God's knowledge that the Rams were going to beat the Bengals make it that there was no other choice but for the Rams to beat the Bengals? No. There were two there were human beings playing on the field. Brilliant, gifted athletes giving their all. And it was a great game. Was I don't know if you saw it. I, I did I did see it. So so I don't know who you rooted for, but you probably were mm -hmm. thinking these people are playing like they came to win. And the choices that they made mattered. So one of two things is true. You're elected by God without regard to faith in Christ, which I reject, or you're elected by God in accordance with faith in Christ. That, that's helpful. With, with the example that you just used, um, how, how, how then would the Scripture because the one that you, you referenced is actually the exact scripture that I had a question about. How, how, how would it fit in with, I chose you, 
you didn't choose me. So even with the example of the football game, how, how did he? How would God have chosen the winner without forcing the winner? Well, again, is it possible that God chose to gift the players with specific gifts, talents, challenges that we're completely unaware of? That we're completely unaware of. So the the way that I would kind of answer your question, let me put it to you um, like this. We're going to do a thought experiment. Good. I want you to look at a ceiling, and mm-hmm. you see the drop ceiling, and there's a blue cord and a red cord. Yeah. So as you're looking at the two cords, it looks like there's a blue cord and a red cord, and they look – they look like there's two ropes hanging from the ceiling. But what if I told you on the other side of the ceiling, the red cord becomes the blue cord and the blue cord becomes the red cord. And it's really one singular rope that only looks like it's two ropes on this side of our perspective. And so I believe that we have free will. We have the ability to choose or choose otherwise without constraint or coercion. In other words, God doesn't manipulate or force people to love him and, and save him, and God doesn't preclude people from making choices. To me, the most powerful evidence that choice is real is the existence of hell. Mm-hmm. Hell is a powerful Proof, I think, that the choices that we make matter. Matter, yeah. And so some people will argue, well, that free will isn't directly taught in the Bible, but I would say that that's not necessarily true. Predestination is explicitly a biblical doctrine. But then we have to ask and answer, well, what do you mean by that? And again, are you elected by God without regard to to the choices that you make, or even faith in Christ, or are you elected by God in accordance with faith in Christ? Yep, that is that's very that's very helpful. Um, you know, trying to wrap wrap your mind well, around. Well, I don't I don't pretend to to know. I I actually don't pretend to know. Well. I've just solved the problem. Not no smarter people right. than me have wrestled with this and continue to wrestle with it. But I, I can't, I can't believe, and I don't believe yeah. that you're saved or damned for all eternity, no matter what. Simply because you're saved or damned for all eternity. If that were true, it doesn't matter what I say to you, huh? Whatever's going right. to happen to you is going to happen to you. Right. Right. And that's not my reading of the of the gospel or the scripture or the invitation by Jesus to love him and trust him. I love your answer. I really appreciate it. I don't know if I'm allowed to ask, you know, make the other comment or I hear the music. Oh, yeah. If, if you want to, if you back. don't mind holding. Yeah. If you don't yeah. mind holding, we'll, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. We've been talking with Vic about that very tough question Tuesday. Or excuse me, Eric, 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 Eric. We've been talking with Eric about the very tough question about predestination. So, Eric, I know you had some sort of follow-up question or something. 
Yes, thank you for, for allowing me to come back again um, after the break. It, it, it's more of a comment, not related to the other question that okay. I just wanted your, your, your thoughts on. And um, it, it's around this kind of the, the attitude um, towards abortion. Um, and so it's obviously a very um, you know, large topic, and, and people are very, very passionate um, about it, have strong feelings about it. Um, my, my, my thought is around the Christian community in, in particular, um, around like just 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 the emphasis and the, and the anger and the rage around abortion and people who participate in that. And I, um, pause, pause, and, pause. Because okay. I would I would differentiate between the two, and okay. maybe that's been your experience, the attitude towards them. But me personally, I I would like to differentiate between what the Bible says about abortion and then how can I experience healing and recovery? Because it's been my experience about people who condemn abortion, they don't condemn people who are looking for healing and recovery after an abortion. Although I think it's safe to say that what you're saying is true in certain circumstances. Maybe I'm being naive, but I'd like to think that that it's not true that the vast majority of Christians have hatred, animosity, suspicion towards people who have had an abortion. Uh, great, great. I, I I definitely appreciate that 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 thought. I, I my, my my experience might be a little bit different, but it, but it, in, either, in either case, I, the the thought I was kind of leaning towards had to do with uh, just just the I, I don't know the the idea that there's something you know extremely uh, wrong with abortion more so more so than you know any other decision towards. Human death. So here, here, here's what my my real my real question, I guess, or thought is, is you know the the Bible to me doesn't seem to value, you know, infant life or unborn life any more than just regular human life. And so it's God 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 condemns you know all levels uh, of murder. So is it is it is it the, is it is it the person then that that kind of makes it different? saying like well here here's this scenario and like you're evil if you do this thing and puts the weight on that particular you know uh act or decision more so well let, than, let's let's than let's just, go with you know, what you yeah let's just go with what you just said real quick eric because you use the term evil and i and i'm glad you use the term because to me the line the evil line runs not simply through our culture and society, but through the human heart, through our heart. There's an evil, there's something evil about the human heart in rebellion against God. Mm-hmm. So the, the way that I would answer your question is, it is evil mm-hmm. to deny that human beings are made in the image of God. That's evil. Mm-hmm. It's evil to teach promote or advocate that that there's a special kind of human being that should be elevated and celebrated and the other one right. should be killed right that's evil yes and the way that i would say that is in our culture in our society there are many many people who would be willing to concede not that human beings are necessarily made in the image of God, but but because 
they they think it's wrong to elevate or denigrate certain people, but they they do it. It's disconnected from sort of some sort of moral foundation, and that's going back to my program. You probably, if you've listened to me, you go. Gino seems to go right back to the Bible in Jeremiah one five. God says He forms us in the womb in Psalm one hundred and thirty nine verse thirteen. So the Bible speaks of God's active role in our creation and formation in the womb. So to the point of does the Bible, does the Bible teach that human beings are, are human and made in the image of God in the womb? I think Jeremiah chapter one, verse five, Psalm 139 verse 13 is exactly, um, one of the two of the texts that would say yes, but then Exodus twenty one twenty two prescribes the same penalty, death, for someone who causes the death of a baby in the womb as for the person who commits murder. And so sometimes we can we can sort of glean an idea of just how bad something is when we look at the punishment that the law prescribed for committing that crime. Now imagine we're living in a world we're living in a world where if you killed everyone who got an abortion there'd be a lot of death in the land wouldn't there be? Not just the yeah, yeah. the babies who have died but the people the people but the people. Sure. Now again yeah. when and I'll just be blunt if the Old Testament laws were intact I should have been put to death. Uh, The Bible says I wouldn't suffer a witch to live. Before I got saved, I toyed with the idea that there was no God and that there were supernatural powers and, you know, playing with Ouija boards and divination. I deserved to Mm -hmm. die, Mm -hmm. according to the Old Testament. So if the law and the punishment indicate that God considers a baby in the womb to be a full human being as, a, as an adult or a full-grown human being, then for the Christian, abortion is something different. It's something different. And that's why I think that this debate has, has been such a prolific debate. Now, a common argument against the Christian stance on abortion is, well, what about, you know, rape and incest? What about, you know, if somebody becomes pregnant as a result of some horrible crime. But again, the answer isn't to kill the child. Killing the child doesn't remedy the situation. Another argument is, well, what about the life of the mother? What if it's at risk? And that's a much tougher question. But it's still a question that as you ask and you answer the question, imagine a loving mother and father in making heroic efforts to try to save their baby become unsuccessful and medical doctors, professionals say, look, one of you is going to die or both of you are going to die. What are you going to do? And again, Mm -hmm. I don't have good answers other than to say, as you pray and cry and weep, you make the best possible decision that you possibly can. Now, again, we live in a broken, tragic, fallen world. 
But just like what you intimated, is this, a, is this sin any less forgivable than any other sin? No. Will, will this sin sentence you to hell? Every sin sentences you to hell. Mm-hmm. So a woman who's had an abortion and a man who's encouraged the abortion and the doctor who's performed the abortion can be forgiven by Jesus. You know, back in the day, um, Martin Luther King used to say, which is the worst crime? The person who stole the person and sold him into slavery or the person who bought the person? Sure. Which they're both heinous, wicked Mm -hmm. crimes. And so, again, um, yeah, this is a tough, tough yeah, and, and, and you know, I, I'm 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 a Christian, and I and I'm I'm against abortion, so that you know that definitely is I'm, I'm against that as, as well. Um, I think the thing that I've been struggling with, and you you've helped me very much in both of your responses uh, this, this evening. So I, I, I thank you. But the thing I've been struggling with has just been I I really want Christians to just have just as much of a sensitive heart towards a grown adult, a 25 year old man who loses his life as the aborted child, and I, and I don't know that we're there yet. Well, I think these conversations help push us in the right direction. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. Earlier in the program, we got a call about the red heifer, and I was thinking about my my friend Ray Bentley, who traveled to Texas. And again, a lot of the uh, a, a, a lot of the buzz, if you want to use that term, of of the surroundings of the the idea of recreating the implements that are going to be necessary for a third temple and how people have tied this to end-time prophecy. But again, if you want to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. We have a, we have a wonderful article posted at GotQuestions at GotQuestions.org. What is the significance of a red heifer in the Bible? And again, I'm going to give out the number, 303-873-1935. But at that article... Um, we write, to meet the requirements of the Old Testament law, a red heifer was needed to help accomplish the purification from sin. Specifically, the ashes of a red heifer were needed. The red heifer was a reddish-brown cow, probably at least two years old. It was to be without defect or blemish and to have never borne a yoke. So the sacrifice of the red heifer was unique in the law in that it used a female animal. It was sacrificed away from the entrance to the tabernacle. That's This is the tabernacle in the wilderness. And it was the only sacrifice in which the color of the animal was specified. So the slaughtering of the red heifer was described in Numbers chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Eleazar the priest was to oversee the ritual outside the camp of the Israelites. After the animal was killed, Eleazar was to sprinkle some of its blood toward the front of the tabernacle seven times. That's verse 4 of Numbers 19. Then he left camp again and oversaw the burning of the carcass of the red heifer. That's verse 5. And as the red heifer burned, the priest was commanded to add some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool to the fire fire 
That's verse 6. And then the ashes of the red heifer were collected and stored, quote, in a ceremonially clean place outside the camp, unquote. And so the ashes were used, quote, in the water of cleansing. It is for purification from sin, Numbers 19.9. In, in Numbers 19.9, it says, And the man who is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer, deposit them outside the camp in a clean place, and they shall be kept for the water of impurity for the congregation of the people of Israel. It is a sin offering. And so the law goes on to detail when and how the ashes of the red heifer were used in purifying those who came in contact with a dead body. In verses 11 and 12, it says, quote, whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and they will be clean, unquote. So the purification process involved the ashes of the red heifer in this way, quote, put some ashes from the buried purification offering into a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water, and sprinkle anyone who's touched a human bone or a grave or anyone who's been killed or anyone who's died a natural death. That's verses 17 and 18. So the imagery of the red heifer is yet, again, a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus for believers. The Lord Jesus was without blemish, just like the red heifer was to be. As the heifer was sacrificed outside the camp, Jesus is crucified outside of Jerusalem. And just as the ashes of the red heifer cleansed people from the contamination of death, so the sacrifice of Jesus saves us from the penalty and the corruption of death. So the red heifer ritual was established in the Mosaic law in the interval. Since that time, Judaism has added many standards to what was originally a straightforward, rather simple set of instructions. Talmudic tradition speaks of the type of rope that the red heifer was to be bound with the direction it was to face when it was being slaughtered, the words that had to be spoken by the priest, the wearing of sandals during the ritual goes on and on. So the rabbinical rules listed many things that would disqualify a red heifer from being sacrificed. If she had been ridden or leaned on, if she had a garment placed over her, if a bird rested on her, if she had two black or white hairs, among many other conditions. So according to rabbinic tradition, there have been nine red heifers sacrificed since the times of Moses. Since the destruction of the second temple, no red heifers have been slaughtered. The rabbi Mammonides, who lived from 1135-1204, taught that the 10th red heifer would be sacrificed by the Messiah himself. Those who anticipate the construction of a third temple are eager to find a red heifer that meets all the conditions because the red 
heifer ashes will be necessary to purify the new temple. So many consider the appearance of a red heifer to signal, herald the construction of the temple and therefore the return of Christ. So according to the Temple Institute, which is a group that advocates the construction of the third temple, a flawless red heifer was born, according to them, in August 2018 in Israel. Now, I've been to the Temple Institute on a number of occasions, and I don't have any updates on this red heifer that was born in August 2018, but you don't have to be good at math to figure out that in August 2020, that red heifer was two years old. So now, according to the futurist timeline of eschatology, there will indeed be a third temple of God in Jerusalem. Jesus prophesied a desecration of the temple during the, the tribulation in Matthew twenty four fifteen, I alluded to it earlier. Jesus said, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the da- prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the, the reader understand, he says. And then in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, speaking of this future man of sin, an antichrist who's supposed to come, who, according to Paul says, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called small G-O-D or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. In order for Matthew 24, 15 and 2 Thessalonians 2, 4 to literally happen, there has to be a temple. There has to be a temple to desecrate. And in order for there to be a temple to desecrate, there has to be a temple to consecrate. And in order for there to be a temple to consecrate, there has to be a temple that has to be built. And now we're back to, there's only one place authorized, prescribed for that temple to be. Now, assuming that those who dedicate the end-time temple follow, follow Jewish law, they'll need the ashes of a red heifer mixed with water for ceremonial cleansing. If a blemish-free red heifer has truly been born, again, there are those who believe, is this a puzzle piece falling into place in order to lead up to a literal fulfillment of biblical prophecy? I hope it's been interesting. I'll be back tomorrow, taking your calls answering your questions, the Lord willing, and the crick don't rise. Thanks, Jim Nelson. This is Gino Geraci. See you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.